Hey everyone, welcome to the A to Z of Sex with me, Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee. I'm a psychologist, an accredited advanced gender, sex, and relationship diversity therapist, an author, a speaker, and the resident specialist therapist starring on Open House, The Great Sex Experiment on Channel 4 in its second season this year. I've been working with people for the last 35 years, helping them to create and maintain incredible relationships with sizzling sex and without shame. And we are working our way through the erotic alphabet, one letter at a time. And today the letter is L, and L is for leather mentorship. Joining me today is Joe Tobias Perry. He's a native of Atlanta, Georgia. He's been in and around the leather scene since the early 2000s. He loves extensive travel and exploring new cultures and enjoys international cuisines and sampling new dishes. His brand theme party, Bulge, is well known for its annual tacos and tequila fundraiser throughout Atlanta, donating 100% of all proceeds to registered 501c3 organizations. For you in the UK, that's registered charities. He's a former member of Onyx, a national leather and kink fraternity for gay and bisexual men of color. He's an educator, mentor, activist, leader, and passionate freelance journalist for local gay editorials. And he's recently published his first book, Leather Mentorship, Leather Mentorship which we will be talking about today. And thank you for showing the book. He is always honored to be of maximum service to the community. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. I'm honored to um, not only to see you again, but to be in your presence, kind of. Kind of, virtually. Um, it is virtually. my pleasure my pleasure to have you here. So um, what made you decide that you wanted to write a book about leather mentorship? Um, actually, I had this conversation with you over a drink. Mm -hmm. One of my favorite bars here in, um, in London. And it was, I had already started it at that point and I was probably midways writing it, but I wasn't sure what I wanted to actually do with it. So to answer your question, I felt that there was a need for it because it's so many of us that go under like sirs, masters, daddies, get into these dynamics and there was really no literature around there about it or to give like a compass or a guide, if you will, to how to get it, how to benefit from it and what to do with actual mentorship. So I took the charge on to try to tackle not only the subject, but to break it down um, from my experiences. So, yes. Yeah. So, I mean, I think it's a really, um, it's a really important thing to start talking more about. So I was really pleased when you said you were going to do this. Um, so for, for audience members who don't know what leather mentorship looks like, can talk a little bit about, about what that means to you and what your experiences are. Well, leather mentorship, it has so many different layers that it comes with. It comes with um, having the know-how and mastery in certain areas that people can benefit from. And those people, either you can seek them out or they can seek you out. I'm the type of person that I go and I see a need in someone because I judge a lot of contests. I have a lot of um, younger people in my downline and I see a need for them to be the next leaders in the community. And I kind of take them under my wing as, as I call them my children, but um, so that I see a need in them and I encourage them to take up the mantle and take on certain responsibilities. And um, it's leather mentorship. It means 
so many different things. I mean, it's, it's an area of expertise as far as teaching single tail, teaching competition, whatever the need is, um, that's within my, my wheelhouse and know-how, I'm willing to share that information freely. And if even, it's, even if it is, some of my mentorships have been contractual. Uh, they, they've had timeframes. Some of them are ongoing because, I mean, they are like, like I said previously, my children. So I think that's interesting because I think a lot of people don't realize that you can have a mentor for your journey, um, but you can also have specific mentors for specific things. Mm -hmm. Like if you're wanting to learn how to use a single tail, you can go and learn from somebody who's experienced, who's going to not only teach a class, but is going to take you and give you individual critique and help you build that skill. So that's more of a mentorship than just kind of going along to a workshop where there's no agreement between you about the learning process because mentorship involves an agreement about the learning, learning process. As you said, some are contractual, some are not, but there's always an, a back and forth about what is it we're doing here? And, and that defines the relationship. And I think people don't realize that you can actually go and do that for specific things, yeah. right? It, it's, it's not just, you know, your whole journey. Yeah, you definitely can. And the beauty about that is that mentorship is not only just, you know, Sir Tobias knows everything. So I'm coming to get this, this, this base of knowledge from him, because I learned as well from my mentees as well. Of course. Of, of, because of the age difference. And I call, they always call it, well, we're keeping you fresh. We're going to keep you fresh on the information in certain, certain terms, like, uh, for instance, um, like pronouns and non-binary and learning these new terms. Um, it was a challenge for me and it is a challenge for me. Um, but they are making me more knowledgeable of that, of that, that range of something that I, that I found challenging, as well as me giving them a base of knowledge of something that, that, that I'm passionate about it, that I have a knowledge for as well. And I think it's really important. We, you know, if you're teaching in any way and mentorship does involve teaching and, and involves role modeling and things, you always learn from the people that you're working with. Um, and the idea that, that, Anybody who has the idea that they can't continue to learn, I would be concerned about. I mean, that's one of the best things about working with people. But I, I know that you focus more on working with younger people, but, um, but you can have a younger mentor. That's true. That and an true. older mentee. Um, and, and sometimes that's just because somebody has started their journey late, later in life. But sometimes it's somebody has a skill that you don't have. And so, you, you know, um, like I, I, I could find somebody to mentor me in a skill I don't have, even though I'm 60 and I've been around for fucking donkey's years. Um, there, are, there are skills I don't have. There are things I don't know. So although I'm an elder, it doesn't mean that I won't necessarily put myself under somebody's tutelage for something, as well as learning from the people that I end up mentoring. Yeah, um, exactly. It's an exchange. It's an exchange. And some yeah. people do contractually. Some people will say, well, you know, um, there was this one contract that I was offered. Oh, you can just come and stay with me for a month. And in exchange of you staying with me in, say, for instance, in Australia for a month, you'll teach me single tail. You'll teach me this. You'll teach me that. You'll teach me shibari. You'll teach me this. And those exchanges are really normal. That is an exchange of different skill sets um, versus me getting to stay in, say, 
Sydney, Australia, which we're going next week, um, is an exchange of mentorship. It really is, and it's it's all in the book. But the main thing is that whomever you're going to be structured under a mentorship, don't be afraid to vet them. And a lot of times people are like, well, you know, I don't have to vet um, Tobias. I don't have to vet Sir Tobias because he's so well known in the community. You bet everybody. I still, but, but you would be very surprised, doctor. You would be very surprised that some people who are, well, let me, let me back it up. There's a difference in being in the community, community for 40 years, and there's a difference in being an elder. Yeah. 40 years versus elder. 40 years is necessarily, not necessarily void of anyone that doesn't have any infractions or consent violations. The elders are the ones with the standard that are the educators, the teachers, the pass me down of knowledge. Those are the ones that you should be seeking. Just because someone say they've been in the community for 40 years, you still need to vet everybody, vet the 40 years and vet the elders. And if you find- the Yeah, elders, I mean- Some people are really, up, they, they get upset about you vetting an elder. An elder needs to be vetted as well. But look, so but that part of that's a misunderstanding of what vetting is. Vetting is a, is a process, one is to protect you from exploitation. So that's one part of vetting and that's what people focus on. But vetting is also to figure out whether you're a good fit, right? Vetting is not just about protection. Vetting is like, what was it like working with this person? Because it may be that I think I'm gonna do well with you, but then I talk to somebody you've worked with before and I realize actually your style might not work for me. And I wouldn't have found that out if I hadn't had that other conversation. So it's not just about protection. It's also about, does this person have the skill set I need? Are we likely to be a good fit? What are the areas that might be difficult for us because of our personalities? And you can find that out, not only just talking to the person, but to talking to other people who have been with them and worked with them will give you a lot more information so that you two don't waste your time with each other. Time is the only finite resource we've got. Exactly. And, and it just, that's something that I always challenge people for is how much do you know about me? Let's start mm -hmm. there and then let's marinate on that for a couple of days, maybe a couple of weeks. Find out as much as you can find out about me, my body of work. And I ask them all the time. And sometimes they say, oh, you know, I know you did this. You wrote this article in, in, in David Magazine that, that was about black and brown and indigenous people. You wrote this one, you did this, you judge IML. I love when people can take the time to, if they're gonna be soliciting me for mentorship, to already have vetted me before they even approach me. Or yeah, well, because people come up to you, it's like, I, I want to work with you. And I, I'm like, why? What, what do you know about what I do? Right. Why, why do you want to work with me? Um, it's why, it's, it's it, not bragging. It's, no. Some people, some people think, and I'm, I think this is just a leather thing, or I think it's a toxic masculinity thing. People think that just because we have a body of work. I mean, between you and I, we've been in the love community for a, a thousand years. So they should know something about what you and I have done in order to solicit us. 
it's not just about, and even in chapter four, we talk about um, clout chasing and the levels of, of mentorship and why people seek out mentorship and why they, what do they want from it? If they can't tell you two things, if they can't tell you who you are as a mentor or what they want out of it, run. Well, yeah, and that's another thing. So like, um, I, I don't do much with titles. I, I never ran for a title. I came close, talked myself out of it um, quite deliberately. Um, it was just like, I was like, I really don't have time. You know, um, I think what people don't realize is that when you do, when you run for a title and you win a title, you're donating a ton of your own time. And so it, you, it takes over your life for the time that if you win for the time that um that you have the title um, and so you need to be in a certain position in your life where you can actually have allow that to happen um but th that's not an area of my expertise you know so if somebody comes to me and they want me to mentor them because they're running for whatever southeast other or whatever i'm not the right one i've never been through the process I can hold your hand and support you, but it's not my thing. Why would you come to me? There are, you know, there are tons of other people that you would go to. Right. And so it's like, why do you want that person? Sometimes I think people go for mentorship because of a status symbol. They're like, oh yeah, that person's famous. And I want to be able to say this person is my mentor. Right. Yeah. I've seen that too. And, and the, the levels of mentorship that I talk about in this book, actually the first chapter are the types of mentorship you know it's i mean it's it's five different ones and you're gonna have to read the book to get them but one of the ones that really moves me and that comes to mind is the clout chaser people chase clout all the time because of the level of visibility they want because of the level of visibility that they want in the community on facebook and facebook is a beautiful vehicle to get information out there. But if you're misusing it for the wrong reason, people can identify with that and it's translatable. People can see through that. Like I have this one mentee and he calls and texts me every single day. Thirst of knowledge. Sir, I read this. I just finished up the leather mentorship book. What does this mean? That thirst is what I look for. That's what I want. I want that level of hunger because for me, though I had three mentors, I had one for personal development. I had one for contest. And then I had one that was for like organizational skills. And all three of them interchangeably knew about each other. But it's, it's such a good thing that you get as many um, levels of mentorship that you possibly can, depending on what you want. Yeah, and it depends on what you want to do in the community, but having more information and more viewpoints is useful. Um, I don't take on a lot of people because I'm busy as fuck. <laughs> I'm also though, I'm also though, like because it's gonna be it's gonna be really interesting because I've been doing TV. There are people who are aware of me now who haven't been before. It's not that I've not been there. I've been quietly there. I mean, and I know a lot of people. But there are people who haven't, like, they haven't put two and two together. So it's been really interesting watching that I've had a sudden sort of surge of interest. Um, people who didn't know what I did in the real world because they weren't paying attention. I mean, I, I, you really have to not pay attention to not know that I'm Dr. Bisbee. 
tons of it's really funny and so it's been really interesting watching people's responses to um um i i said that i'm going to um, msc this year i was able to work it out so i'm going to be at msc um i'm really excited to to be able to be back i've i've really missed being at msc um and i'm i'm on a panel of doctors um so that's what i'm doing this year i'm only doing the one thing we'll see what i yeah, I'm only doing one thing this year. Um, I'm spending the rest of time supporting family and hanging out with family and friends. We see, you know, years coming up, we'll see what happens. But right now I'm just doing the one thing. Um, but, you know, but there are people like, um, already a couple of people, oh, oh, you know, said to um, my sister, oh, I didn't know you knew her. Like, have you not been paying attention? You know, it's just, you know, our associations are just, um, it's crazy that people, anyway, I, I want to say, but I mean, I've known you forever. I knew you before you even knew who I was. I knew you first based on association. And that yeah. within itself is so powerful, just based on um, your family. But what, what, I, what I find really interesting about that is that I've, and I've had a lot of that, um, the, more, the higher profile I've been taking, the more I've heard about this. Um, and I was just talking with somebody who said, you know, I was following you a, a much longer than you've been following me. And, I, and they were aware of me when I was doing um, certain bits of psych writing and little bits of, of, of leather and things, but like little bits here and little bits there. Um, and they'd seen me at, at various events. And I was totally unaware of this person because they never came up and said hello, right? And, and I was like, well, why didn't you come and say something? And he said, I was embarrassed. And I was like, why? And he was like, well, you know, you know, you, you have this and you do that. And, you, and I was like, and, I'm, and you could see how fucking human I am. I mean, you know, and I make mistakes. And it's, it's, as your profile gets bigger, you get a lot of that where people like are afraid to come up and say anything. And it's, it's a really strange feeling because I think of myself the same way I did when I entered the world 40 years ago. And so that's one of the other interesting things. Um, you know, my 60th birthday was this year. And um, I was talking with um, Mrs. Blue Frost, my BFF, and we were talking about, and my leather sister, we were talking about um, what people call you and how people refer to you. And I'm 60 now. And there are people manning me all over the place, you know, and auntieing me. And I'm like, you know, auntie I'll wear. Auntie, I'm okay with. But ma'am really freaked me out because I'm a slave, right? Like, I'm not a ma'am. And she had to say to me, when they're calling you ma'am, it's out of respect because you're an elder. It's it's the wisdom. It's not. And I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm like, I'm like, I'm not a fucking elder. She's like, are you kidding me? When, when do you think elder starts? And I just was like, oh, yeah, you're right. And I thought back to when I first kind of came into the POC community, POC leather community, which is now, it's it's 15, 16 years or so. Yeah, I'm just, let me think about, where are we, 2023? Mm -hmm. uh, so 2013, 15, 15 years or so ago. And like the first time I saw Mama Vi, for example. And so that's the generation above me who are like all have like either between eight and 
20 and blah, blah years, because some of them, we don't know how old they are. Right. right. Um, and like they were elders. Right. And so, so Frost was saying to me, right. And they were 60. Right. And I was like, oh, oh, fuck. Yeah. Okay. They were 60 then. <laughs> yeah. Right. You know, like, or, uh, yeah, some of them were, and some of them were late fifties, but you know, but they were elders. Right. And I was like, you know, I was like 45. I was like, oh, right. And she's like, yeah, see, that's where you are now. Right. I'm like, oh, okay. And sort of getting your head around stuff like that. And so some of the people that, um, that are, will be great mentors are people that you may not have seen on every stage. And, you know, lots of people in the community will know them, but you may not have heard their name everywhere. Um, and I encourage people to look for those people. And there's one thing I definitely wanted to talk about in this, because you tackle the issue of um, abuse and um, abuse of power, and also where does sex and play fit into this? Um, and I and I'm in in a in a good way because I think a lot of times people have a lot of dogma about what's acceptable in mentorship. Um, and I've heard recently lots of people saying things like, well, if, if you have, they have sex with you, it's an imbalance in power and therefore, you know, it's abusive as though people can't consent to a power imbalance. I thought that's what, that's what we're doing anyway, is it not? <laughs> but what I will say, and I do cover both sides in the book. Yeah. We are sex positive people, right? Mm. We, we subscribe to sex, but when it comes down to this level of mentorship, it is a huge responsibility of privilege. And you are turning almost your life over to someone to redevelop and to streamline and give structure to. So it's a delicate situation. Absolutely. It does, it does happen. Now, for my view, for me and what I do, I think that mentorship should be strictly platonic. It should be strictly platonic. And even if, with me looking at the, the, men, the three mentors that I have, one of which has turned into family and we will always be family. I could never even think of us possibly going to that level. I can see us possibly going into to a, to, to a, a play session or a scene or negotiating a scene, but it wouldn't have anything to do with a sexual component in that dynamic. I can see that. So mentorship, I think, is both ways. We're all grown adults. If that's what you want to do, then do it, but have a clear mind and have vetted that person, or just don't do it and get your skill set that you need from that mentorship. I mean, I think it's important to, to look at both sides of it. Certainly, um, when I mentor people, I don't have sex with anybody I mentor. Um, I I'm used to, as a therapist, I don't have sex with anybody I'm a therapist for. So I'm used to that. I'm used to that hard boundary. Right. Um, and, and that's fine with me. That works for me. I can see situations in which um, you could be, and I've been a mentee in this situation once, where the, the sex was part of the scene and it was a negotiated scene. So it wasn't an ongoing sexual relationship. It was a scene that included sex. And that was fine. I think in ongoing relationships, it's very delicate. Right. And it gets very delicate because of the different emotions that arise. And so um, it may not be disastrous and it may not be abusive, but you may not get what you want out of the mentorship then because of it. 
because because it gets in the way. Emotions get in the way, exactly. And it clouds the mind of the mentee every single time. Because when you're giving instructions to someone, you want those instructions to be clear and not clouded by anything other than ex exactly what the mission is and the end, the beginning and the end of what that, that block of instructions is. So you don't want anything to cloud that. Well, you know, can you let me slide? No, this is a directive. I'm keeping you on time, on time task with what, with the things that I've given you to do. And here's the end game. So when you cloud it with sex, it just, it muddies the waters. Well, I think, I think it muddies the waters because people don't deal well with sex. And I think that's an important thing mm -hmm. to put out there. And, and so, um, it makes things more difficult. People don't often don't deal well when they have dual relationships with people because they don't know how to handle switching from one thing to another. Um, and it, you can manage dual relationships with people in, cert in certain circumstances. It's not appropriate. Your therapist should never have sex with you. Can I say that again? Your therapist should never have sex with you. That's abusive. But, it, you know, you can um, have dual relationships and switch from one to the other but that requires a very high level of communication and a, and a really good strong sense of self where you are able to move your mindset to here so i know that i have you know my accountability partner and i also have a sexual relationship mm -hmm. it's a separate different thing it yes. doesn't have anything to do with the accountability but that's because we can talk through anything right and we have also prioritized relationships. So I think if you're doing a mentorship with somebody where you're going to allow sex to be part of it, you have to prioritize the mentorship and you have to know how to do that where you say, okay, we're prioritizing this. This is now getting in the way. So we're setting this aside. I think compartmentalization is what yeah. we're talking about here. Yeah. That you have to be able to have the emotional, the emotional and the spiritual maturity to handle both because yeah. everyone is not mature enough to handle True. that type of sex. I mean, that type of sex, because if you are charging this person with different things that you have structured them under this mentorship, if you blur those lines, you have already just destroyed whatever accountability of directives that that person needs and that that person initially came to you for and I don't think it's going to be a I don't think that the end game is going to be be what you thought it was going to be and I I've taken this question before I finished the book yeah. I took this question to an elder in the community to an elder in the community I asked him the same question like 15 years ago his viewpoint was one way he said oh yeah if you're in the mentorship under me you have to we have to have sex now I asked him 15 years later, and his views have changed completely. completely. Yeah, which is perfect, which is perfectly fine because yeah. people, people grow and learn they change and, and, change and, and change all the time. And, and, and you want that, yeah. you want that. And you, and you want to model that. I also think it's important to, because you do raise, raise the issue of abuse. And I think it's really important that people understand that what you want to look at is who is this for? That's one of the easiest questions to start identifying whether something is potentially abusive um, is to look at the question, who is this for? Who is this serving? 
Um, and it doesn't mean that just be, that if, if the mentor gets something out of it, it's abusive. That's not what I'm saying. But when you're looking at the overarching situation and the roles, you look at who is this serving. As a mentor, I have an agreement with you, my mentee, about goals that you want to reach. And so the things I do are in service to those goals. And so if I'm doing lots of things that are in service to my own desires, wants, needs, that's not in service to the goals that we agreed on. That happens so many times. And I'm just going by people that I've seen model mentorship relationships. I've seen mentorship relationships end with a collar on the mentee or them entering to a dynamic. I've seen, this is a whole body of work. You see different things in different relationships come out of mentorship. What I can honestly tell you is that it does not work when you put sex in the way of it. It does not work. It does not work for me. That's what I need to say. Mm -hmm. Is that it muddies the waters so bad. And it's, it's something that you should really be careful about because people have gotten hurt, if not worse, when they've added sexual components and turned mentees into slaves, mentees into boys, girls, littles, downline. It, it, it's muddied the waters. And we know that people have um, um, lost their lives in certain cases um, by doing that. So I just think that it's a very delicate thing to um, take into deep consideration um, before starting a mentorship with someone who is possibly attracted to you in that way. Well, and also, yeah, and, and also recognition that if you are six months in and you both realize you're attracted to each other, that that's the point at which you say, are we going to end this mentorship? Yeah. Like that is always an option to say, I'd like to change our relationship and to negotiate that. Now, the other person might say, no, I don't want to do that. But that is always an option that you have is to look at a situation and say, actually, what's more important to me now is this, not that. Right. And it, what I will say is that sometimes you have to know, well, all times, you have to know exactly what it is that you want out of the mentee and the mentee has to know exactly what they want out of the mentor. Recently, I've had a, a person that I thought was my friend, person I thought was my friend for the longest time. And not, not a mentorship or anything like that. And come to find out long story short that this person had a thing for me and I had absolutely no clue. And when they did finally confront me with it, I said, you know, I don't know what to say, but what I would rather you not do is touch me inappropriately. So I took it upon myself to end what was an association going towards a friendship. Yep. But I mean, we have responsibilities and hard boundaries that we have to set when things um, present themselves in that way. And as I said previously, it is very dangerous when you add a sexual component. It is very dangerous. And that will give people false expectations, false hope of what could be, and it could change very quickly. So 
Mentorship and sex, uh, I wouldn't do it. I would just set what I need to set to get what I need to get out of it and learn as much as I can, but I definitely would steer away from adding sex to it. Yeah, I do think I do think it, it does change things and it does it, it is does make things far more open to abuse. Um it, it, just by the nature of, of adding that intense level of stimulation as well as the potentially the intense emotions that come along with it. Yeah, of course. There was something in chapter four that I wanted to um, to bring to your attention. Did you already receive your book or am I going to have to come out to see you to give you your book when they come in? You have to come out to see me. <laughs> listen, listen. Okay. <laughs> and I would definitely do that. Okay, so chapter four, guys, and I'm going to give you guys this as a, as a freebie, as a freebie to the book. So chapter four is sexual deviancy, manipulation, and predatory behavior. I would not condone or support predatory behavior, sexual abuse, or exploitation. It is essential to be aware of the potential for abusive or exploitive behavior in any form of fetish, kink, play, or BDSM dynamics, including mentorship. Mm -hmm. Reference chapter two for a refresher. And then I highlighted on page 37, sexual activity can occur between the mentee and mentor, but it should not be required, expected, unless both parties have explicitly agreed to it. With that being said, it is so tricky. Grown people are going to do what grown people want to do, doctor. But when you add that sex into it, it, add, it adds endorphins, it adds responsibilities, it adds expectations, all of that into it. So I would just steer clear of it. And please read chapter four twice. Read it twice, but it's really good. Yeah, no, and I think it's really important that um, that people take on board the fact that exploitation can be deliberate and overt, um, but that people can slide into exploiting people as well without realizing that that's what they're doing. Um, and so that's why it's so important that we as mentors have to be on top of our own shit. Mm -hmm. You know, we need to make sure that we're doing our own learning. We need to make sure that we've got places to go with our stuff um, be that being in our own mentorship or, or accountability partners, something that we have a place where we can examine our behavior, our thoughts and our feelings so that we're not at risk. Yeah, exactly. And that we don't become complicit with our own learning. Like you mentioned accountability partner. Um, of course, Chalk Trey is, Chalk Trey is my, my accountability partner. She's a rough accountability partner, but she is my accountability partner. She calls me on my shit every single time that there is something that needs to be addressed. And if we don't have accountability partners, we become um, with this myopic type view where we only just have like blinders on for what we are doing. And the way that maybe Chalk does mentorship is different from what I do. But at least having that accountability partner, you get a different set of eyes onto what you're doing to make sure that it's not coming close to the line. Because, you know, people, 
commit consent violations all the time, even in mentorship. They do. I mean, oh, I trust, you know, I trust Sir Tobias. I trust him. But, you know, when I asked him, you know, I, I used my safe word. He didn't give me aftercare. That's a consent violation. I mean, you just got to be on top of your shit to make sure that we are pouring into these, uh, to this next generation, what was poured into us or what we learned along the way. So I, we, have, we yeah. have responsibility. I agree with you, but I also want to highlight something because I think um, sometimes things are labeled as consent violations that are actually um, not, that are either accidents or people forget that dominance can tap out at any time too. And it's something that, that we don't talk about a lot, but that a dominant, a mentor, a top can say for themselves at any time that people are human, they have their own issues. And that's why I always tell people it's really important when you're organizing aftercare with someone that you're playing with, that you have a backup plan. Because sometimes the scene goes differently than expected and they're not in any condition to give you aftercare. And that, you know, they may have contracted for it, but they may not be able to. And so if it's something you need, you make sure you have a backup plan. There's a degree of responsibility I think people often don't take. Um, I'm, I'm a big fan of personal responsibility and consensual kink. Um, and, and I think it's always really important that we highlight that the people that are mentoring you are human. And they'll make mistakes and then they'll apologize for their mistakes and they'll make amends and you'll move forward. And would you, would you want to be mentored by somebody who didn't make any mistakes ever? I don't think so. No, or admit them or admit them. Admit them, yeah. Well, admitting mistakes is, I mean, it's become really hard for people to admit mistakes because the consequences to admitting mistakes these days, um, you know, people get canceled, people get, you know, attacked. And, you know, we all make errors. Yeah. Um, and, and if you've been around for long enough, you will have made a bunch of errors because that's how we learn. Yeah, it's true. It's true. And I mean, I, I think just calling each other out in the healthiest way is the best because I hate cancel culture. And it's so many times that you do see people that will have a consent violation or several, and they never, ever apologize at the ver very first opportunity. And that makes it worse. That makes it so much worse. And then everyone else, the, the part that I really hate about cancel culture is that when you take it online, everyone else who was not privy to that scene, they bandwagon jump that situation and they make it so much worse than what it really was between two people. And that's where it was supposed to stay. But when other people get involved, you get people, oh, I can call Lori. Lori is Dr. Lori. She's an attorney. She can take on the case for me. She can give me advice. And then you got all of this other fluff that comes into the consent violation when I'm sorry or I apologize would have sufficed. Well, and then not only that, but there needs to be a way for people. I, I, I remind people that it's only a very small percentage of the pop, pop, population that are actual assholes that are not redeemable, right? Um, and the rest of us are human. And so if somebody makes a mistake, not only do you need to give them the opportunity to apologize, but there needs to be a way for them to get back into good graces. Yeah. 
And what happens a lot online is that the bandwagoning you're talking about leads to people being excluded all over the place with no way back in. Now, they're not going to learn to change their behavior and grow if you're not offering them a way back into community. Yeah, it's true. Or trusting um, them or trusting that process. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's perfectly acceptable to want some oversight on the process, especially if it was a severe violation. I mean, sometimes some of the things that people get up in arms about are so minor. I just can't even believe that people are wasting their energy or their breath. I'm like, really? Really? I mean, you need to see Lori play. You need to see Dr. Lori play. I mean, because, no, because I mean, you know, I mean, when we have accidents, they're big because we do big things, right? Um, and I think, you know, it's understanding in the scheme of things, you know, I didn't speak my, my safe word loud enough. So they went on for 30 seconds longer than I wanted them to. And so it, it was traumatizing or they tripped a trigger of mine and I was traumatized. Uh, yeah, okay. Are you grown? You know, tell them that, make them apologize, make them take responsibility. Sure. Right. right but like then. Right, right then, right then, not like seek talk to 60 people and have a tribunal about the fucking trigger that got tripped because they should have known you had the trigger and then you were in a bad shape for days. And uh, why were you, you know, why were you playing? I mean, it's another thing that I hear a lot of, you know, people say, oh, you know, I have lots of triggers and they should know. No, you, if you have triggers that are going to get tripped by you playing, you should think about whether you should be playing. Exactly. Exactly. You have the responsibility to look after your own mental health. Yeah. And from a dominant standpoint, we also need aftercare. And there's yes. nothing to be ashamed about at all for that. After I finish the scene, yes, I'm going to give my submissive aftercare. But I need goddamn aftercare too. Well, especially as well. Well, and especially if if you play hard and you edge play. And so um, if a dominant is a sadist and is edge playing, and so they're really in a monster role, it can be really important for them to see themselves seen as a whole human being again, a good person again, when they've been monstrous. Yeah. Right. If you leave them in that monstrous headspace, that can be really damaging. Often they need to see that the person still loves them, still sees them as, as sweet and caring and kind and all of those things and isn't just seeing a monster. Um, and that can be really important for somebody to integrate back into their daily lives. And if you're if you're completely as a as a bottom or a submissive or a slave, if you're completely focused on your own need, that's really problematic. Right. And that's the thing, too, is that, you know, even in scenes, you know, and I'll always use myself as an example. There are trigger words that I've negotiated that most of the people that I play with are pain pigs and they want to go beyond and they want to push boundaries. There are trigger words that can be used that makes me want to go harder. It makes me want to go, you know, even more. And I do need to be brought down to back down to a normal level. So all of that should be negotiated very, very specifically and very carefully, because even after that, that's part of the negotiation. I'm going to give you aftercare, but certainly aftercare as well, too. So just make yeah, sure and negotiating with the right damn people. Yeah. And, and then when you do this negotiation that you 
understand that we don't always get it right. So I talk to people about, you know, things like um, exit plans when you're in, you know, you're entering into um, um, a, a DS or an MS relationship. What's the exit plan look like? Right. There should be an exit plan. Um, when you're talking about intense scenes, intense periods of time, you know, what's the follow up? You know, what's the backup aftercare? What does the follow up look like? If it goes wrong, what are our priorities? Right. And, and to actually talk about it, you may not need to worry about any of that. It may all go swimmingly and you may have an absolute brilliant time. And then you didn't need all that time you spent negotiating. But when it goes wrong, you are grateful for having those things in place. And it doesn't take that long. And it, you know, people are like, oh, it's not sexy. Yeah, well, yeah, it can be. You know, yeah. it can be. It doesn't have to be um, dull and stayed. It can be sexy. But more importantly, it needs to be done because you, everybody wants to have a positive experience. Yeah. Otherwise, would, why do this? You would hope so. You would hope they want a positive experience. But there is also deviancy from, a, from the S side of the slash too, because submissives, yes. some submissives want what they want from dominance as well too. And it's, it's a selfish regard in some cases. So you gotta be careful with that too, because predatory behavior can be from the S side of the slash as well. It's not just from the D side or the M side of the slash. So keep that in mind too. Yeah, no, I mean, I think it's really important to remember that. And um, and we don't talk about it enough. And so when we're talking about mentorship, we talk a lot about the, the um, potential for the mentor to exploit and the mentor to abuse. Mm -hmm. But it happens from the other side as well. Yeah, of course. And that's the only way that we're going to make sure that in that understanding and that level of knowledge, that the legacy of leather culture is an evolution. It's going to change. It's going to look different to people like us who've been in, in this community forever. It's going to change. We have to be adaptable as well as the newer generation being adaptable if we're going to sustain leather culture. Yeah. 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 Uh, well, because everything grows and changes. Yeah. Everything does. grows and changes. And that's the beauty of it is that we're all fucking different. We should, we have enough room. We have enough bandwidth for all of us to do all the kinky shit that we want to do but just allow tolerance and patience and lead with love and kindness and then we can get so much further than just I, I, I mean i completely agree with you and i think one of the things that you know when you're talking about vetting that vetting is useful for is think again we said earlier but figuring out are you a good fit like i'm not for everybody and i don't need to be for everybody I couldn't service all of that anyway, right? Mm -hmm. You know, and not everybody is for me. And sometimes you find out somebody you want to learn from or you want to be with or you want to be mentored by is, is just not, it's not right for them. Right. So you go, oh, well, you know, and you move on and find what, what works. Um, and, and this understanding that that's part of the whole process of vetting is to make sure that there's a good fit. And somebody who might be a great mentor for me today, five years ago, would have been an awful mentor for me because I was in a different place. And that there are some mentorships that are long. There are some mentorships that become family, that become kind of lifelong leather family and, and stuff. 
But not all of them are like that. There are lots of mentorships that are for a defined period of time or during a process. And I mean, the easiest example of that, of course, is a contest, right? There's loads of people who are mentored through a contest yeah. and winning a contest and then their contest year. Um, but there are also other times, like where you are when you are entering the leather world, when you've been in it five years, when you've been in it 15 years, are completely different places. Mm -hmm. And mentorship is different. If you are um, collared and in dynamic, where you are when you're at the beginning of a collar, the kind of mentorship you want when you're at the beginning of a collar is very different than the kind of mentorship you want when you've been in collar 10 years yeah. or 15 or 20. You know, I mean, hey, look, you know, there are people, I think people, people, are so focused on newbies that they forget that there are people who have been doing stuff a long time who still benefit from that learning relationship. Yeah. And then what is that mentorship going to look like to offload that collar? Should that collar needs to be offloaded? It's just, hmm. you're not just going to just take the collar and just get rid of the collar and, and not offload them properly because that can be damaging within itself as well too. And as leaders, we have a responsibility to nurture, offloading, onloading, taking on a slave, taking on boys, we have a responsibility to offload them properly as well too. Well, that's that, absolutely, an exit plan is so important and I, we don't talk about it enough. Um, Frost and I were talking about, um, about exit planning, we were talking about in the case of death um, and you know, people frequently don't think about what it means when somebody who's long-term in collar loses a master or mistress. Um, it's different from, it's a, the depth of the relationship is different. It has different flavors than a marital relationship, for example. And so, you know, losing um, a husband, wife, partner, long-term has it, it has its own grief and things, but when you've been in a power exchange or an authority transfer, you know, there's additional things that come with that, um, that you need to think about. Like sometimes somebody suddenly finds themselves with no structure at all because mm -hmm. that's where their structure has been coming from. So having an exit plan where there's people or a person available to pick up the structure can be important. Same for the dominant, the master, the mistress, you know, suddenly their support staff is gone and they may not know how to do any of those things for themselves or they know how to, but they haven't for so long that actually taking that function up again is an additional pain and additional grief than the, just the grief of the loss of the relationship. So having people around who can pick that up and help ease them back into a different part of life again can be incredibly important. I completely agree. And also organizations are sometimes designed like that, where there's one dominant or a master or a daddy that is over the organization. And when, if the, God forbid, if the, the master or daddy passes, the downline is not strong enough to maintain that level of the organization. And guess what? The organization dies. So, I mean, that happens as well too. So, I mean, you gotta just be able to pass this knowledge that we have on to the next generation and hold them accountable for it. Make them responsible for the level of knowledge that they get, that you give to them. Make sure the gifting that you give to them, that they that they understand the knowledge of passing that on as well. Once again, yeah. to continue leather legacy. 
course. Yeah, and I, and I think, I, but I think, I think also that we don't talk about this stage of life enough. Mm-hmm. Um, focus is almost always on new people, right? Young people, yeah. like making sure the young people were, are going to get this, that, and the other. Remembering that that the end stages are the reason we focus on the young people, right? So we need to make sure that we're actually paying attention to that. And we're looking at how do we make that transition of power? How do we make that transition of leadership? What does that look like? Yeah. That's, yeah. that's the main thing is that um, we were, I was talking to um, um, one of my previous, he's not my previous Onyx brother. He's become a friend of mine now. So we were talking about that because he was saying, you know, in my generation, he's like barely 30. He was saying that the interest of leather has gone in and out, like the interest of leather goes in and out like this. And I said, you know, all of us, we've we've come to that. We were at that point because we wanted to do so much and we were still developing our careers and all this stuff. But until I was in my mid to late 30s, mid to late 30s, that's when I really got serious about leather. I was like, this is who I am. This is is what I'm about. So he is correct in that regard. The younger people, though we do focus on them to carry on the legacy, all of them are not gonna be around because of the lack of interest, the lack of discipline, the lack of structure. So get under someone's mentorship and continue leather legacy. I mean, as as soon as possible. And get the book. Right. So let's tell people where they're going to be able to find this book. Okay. All right, guys. We have Leather Mentorship is currently now available on Amazon. Um, It is not searchable as of yet because Amazon system hasn't caught up with it yet. But you um, can go to my Facebook page, which is J Tobias Perry. Or you can go to my Instagram, which is J Tobias dot i dot am on my instagram my instagram is just a little ratchet a little bit more revealing um or you can just send me an email j tobias perry at gmail.com and um i go between atlanta and london and let's have a conversation and some coffee and talk about leather mentorship brilliant thank you so much for joining me um and it's good to see you again if only virtually hopefully in person soon Thank you. I have some dates for you. I have some dates for you and some Thanks. places. So my book, my first launch of Leather Mentorship is going to be in Sydney, Australia. The first book signing and launch is going to be July 27th in Sydney, Australia. And then my next event is going to be in San Francisco, um, hopefully at Mr. S. Leather, but at Transform Dungeon. Mm-hmm. That is going to be August the 6th. And then on the 10th, I go back to Atlanta. And hopefully we're going to do a book signing at the Atlanta Eagle or one of the local watering holes to make sure that everyone gets a copy of the book. Cool. Oh, brilliant. So, guys, uh, thanks for listening again this week. Um, next week, the letter will be M. And M is for Mystery Vibe and Medical Devices. You're going to love that show. It's really interesting. 
If you have a um, topic for the show or somebody you'd like to hear from, please email me at lauriebeth at drlauriebethbisbee.com. Please, please, please leave the review. If you leave a review and you let me know that you've done so, your name is entered into the draw each month for 30 minutes free with me, which is actually really hard to come by now. So um, it's worth your while. It's the easiest way to get 30 minutes with me is writing some reviews and getting in the monthly draw. Um, reviews for the podcast count and reviews for my books, but you have to let me know you've done it. Otherwise, I won't know. I won't automatically know if you don't give me a way of telling you that you've won this draw. I've had this happen two months in a row with the people who won gave me no way of telling them that they won. So do email me at lauribeth at drlauribethbisbee.com. A new membership. I am starting now. Um, it'll be sometime, I think just started when this comes out. Um, and it is geared toward giving people the opportunity to get their questions answered in a group format. Um, and also to have a live with me once a month, you'll get lots of exclusive content. I'm going to put the link for that below. Um, it is the most cost-effective way to get any time with me um, that there is. It's a six-month or 12-month commitment, and it's modestly priced and going to be exciting and well worth the money because we'll get all sorts of interesting things happening in there, including special guests and, um, and special content and sometimes even some actual physical prizes and things like that because you know i get sent a lot of sex toys and uh, so i do giveaways on a fairly regular basis um look out for that and uh do join up the early adopters are going to luck out because it'll be a smaller group to start with and so you'll get a lot more time and a lot more um, attention in the smaller group so it's well worth being an early adopter you get perks for that including an extra 5% off any services if you sign up for a year within the next month. That's all from me for this week. Stay safe, have fun, and I'll see you soon.